Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show and our latest check-in with the summer transfer market. Yes, on this show we're looking at the big moves of the summer so far. Declan Rice's record-breaking move across London, Chelsea's fire sale, the players all heading to Saudi Arabia, and we ask if someone, someone will give Harry Maguire a home this season. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me today a man whose future is a lot more certain than Harry Kane's, at least for the next hour or so, Graham Ruffin. Howdy. (laughs) Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I also have my brother as my agent, which is why I haven't had a big money transfer move these last few years. So similar sort of thing going on there. That's interesting, Graham. I've actually been to dinner with yourself and your brother once, in Nando's, no less. And he yeah. did do most of the talking for you. We, you know, he took twelve point five percent off the bill for himself at the end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was Very he was writing down negotiations on a, on on the napkins, you know, Messi to Barcelona style. Yeah, he's my agent. <laughs> Speak to him. Yeah, yeah, you made a come and get me plea to the waiter when they went past at one point, I remember. It was all happening. It was all happening at that meal. Very good, very good, Graham. Um, so it's the calm before the storm at this point, isn't it, Graham? It's World Cup is a couple of days away. Gold Cup's over. US summer friendlies are just starting. When when my friends talk to me about what we do in soccer, they're always like, it's the summer. It's like, you must be relaxing. It's easy yeah. at this point. And I'm always like, nope, there's much more to do at this point. Do you find that as well? Yeah, a little bit, and this year in particular is 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 really strange because we've had the um, the Gold Cup, the Nations League. Now we've got the Women's World Cup. Premier League teams are playing preseason matches. I think Spurs and West Ham are playing in Australia right now as we're recording. That's right. So that's a little bit strange to get your head around. The Premier League season is is, is fast appro- approaching. Obviously, MLS is still going. Messi signing for Inter Miami. League's Cup starts this weekend, whatever that is. Has anyone actually worked it out yet? So, yeah, there's certainly plenty, plenty to uh, keep our attention. There is indeed. It never stops, Graham. It never stops. I can only imagine what it's like for a player. Quite fun, I suppose, is the answer <laughs> to that one. Um, you've had a wonderful weekend in London. Uh, I had a nice weekend in Ireland. We shall talk about that, Graham, a little bit later on our Patreon feed. Why don't we do that? Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to join did, the party there, listener. Did you go to Dublin because you've recently, as I learned, had your first Guinness? Is that what drew you to the Emerald City, the Emerald Isle? Yeah, so I went to, I went to the US in April. And I had my first ever Guinness in an Irish bar in New York. And then I think that planted the idea. At that moment, you thought, I've got to go to Ireland. (laughs) I should go where this stuff is made. It's quite nice. That was the logic. Uh, But my my TLDR for Dublin, Graham, is um, if you don't want to have a drink and a good time, then it's not really for you. Right. That sounds terrible, of course, a drink and a good time. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's not like you're going to go and look at castles and architecture. It's more like the crack. 
as they say. Right. <laughs> okay, the famous yeah. Irish crack. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. All right, plenty of transfers to talk about on this show, Graham. I just wanted to start off with a quote from Cristiano Ronaldo that's dropped today as we oh, record. Do we have to? We, we don't have to, but I thought it might be fun. <laughs> I won't return to European football, says Cristiano. The door is completely closed. Uh, he says, um, I'm 38 years old. Also, European football has lost lots of quality. Only valid league is the Premier League. Uh, grammar there's good. Uh, they're way ahead of all the other leagues. He's kind of saying there to me, saying, I've left Europe, therefore the quality has gone down. And also, I'm 38, no Europe, you can't have me back. Okay, then. Yeah, and wasn't an, an extension of that quote something along the lines of when I went to Serie A, Serie A was revived, and mm. now that I've left, it's it's nothing. I mean, he is conveniently ignoring the fact that Juventus made two Champions League finals in three years before he joined, and then and then made a big fat zero after he joined. So I'm not sure that, that argument holds up to logic. Probably not. Mm, okay, well, no more Ronaldo in Europe, uh, sad face. Although I believe his team did play a friendly in Portugal overnight uh, and they lost 5-0 to uh, a local Portuguese team. If my did they really? Has. I believe they did. <laughs> I believe they did. Uh, fun time. Sure, yeah, the quality in Saudi Arabia is great, Ronaldo. Yeah. We believe you. Good quality, good quality. Anyway, lots of deals to talk about, Graham. Uh, according to the Guardian's Totalizer page thingy, which I like a lot, uh, at this point, Europe's top five leagues have done 535 deals worth a total of $2.6 billion. Wow. It feels like quite a lot of the big deals, which we'd expect to drag out into August and September, have already taken place is it are teams doing their business a bit earlier this summer or is it just my imagination i think chelsea are doing a lot of business earlier because they had to their their dressing room wasn't big enough for their squad they had to push some people <laughs> out the exit door arsenal as well i think are another club that have got things done pretty early their, their three big signings of course being Declan Rice, a Premier League record transfer. Um, Kai Havertz, a bit of a surprising one for £70 million. And then Durian Timber from from Ajax. I think there's a chance that maybe they add another central midfielder this summer. But by and large, I think they've got their, their business done pretty early. So, yeah, I would generally agree. It feels like clubs, for once, are ahead of the, ahead of the curve. Of course, there will still be deadline day deals and clubs scrambling for it. it feels like the number nine market is drawing out and everyone's waiting for the first domino to fall and then things will happen in, in, in that respect but the dominoes are still standing with center forwards around europe at the moment so that's maybe one that will go the distance indeed uh we'll talk about that number nine race very shortly graham but first just to kick off can we just touch on um i think it's pronounced Lionel messi this player who's gone to into miami um Obviously had his big introductory uh, ceremony over the weekend in Miami at Daft Punk Stadium. He was announced, by the way, as America's number 10. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Mm, America's, <laughs> America's claiming 10. him already. Yeah. He's been in South Florida for a week. Publix is number 10. <laughs> That's what I like to see there. Uh, but I suppose maybe something we haven't necessarily touched on is the impact he can have on a team. Uh, into bottom of the Eastern Conference, they've lost 14 to 22 games so far this season. Um, Alvaro Albarella slash uh, Sergio Busquets will be joining him, of course, uh, in good time. But it's tough to measure how much of an impact one person can have on a team like this. Obviously, a new coach, some new players coming in, so it's a bit of an unknown quantity. But mm -hmm. do you think we? Well, they can't get any lower in the standings, but we'll, we'll surely we'll have some positive impact here for this season. So Messi at Inter Miami is a bit of a science experiment, right? Because you're right. In theory, one player cannot make a team, 
but we've never seen a player as good as Lionel Messi join a team as bad as Inter-Miami. So it's a complete experiment. Maybe that view will be challenged. Maybe Lionel Messi does make Inter-Miami a good team and they make the playoffs this year. It has been such an abstract concept that Messi will play for Inter-Miami. It's kind of weird to think we're going to have to analyse how he's fitting into this team. And I mentioned this on the Patreon yesterday where we spoke about that opening ceremony, or not opening ceremony, that that uh, unveiling ceremony. Ryan, Ryan, I know you share my love for a footballing ceremony. Oh, yeah. Mr. Q wasn't at this one, uh, but David Beckham spoke Spanish on it and nearly face-planted on the platform on the pitch. So it was all very enjoyable stuff. But there was a video that was published before that ceremony of Messi in an Inter-Miami kit. That was the thing that hit home he's actually going to be playing in MLS. Like it's, It has been an abstract concept up until now. Assuming he's fit and healthy, he will undoubtedly undoubtedly make Inter-Miami a, a better team. As you mentioned, Ryan, that is a low bar given where Inter-Miami are right now. They're bottom of the East. They're without a win in their last 11 games. Um, they have just hired a new manager in Tata Martino, but this season has been a bit of a shambles for them and it feels like they've been waiting for Messi to to arrive, Messi and his friends to arrive, of course. Sergio Busquets signed, Jordi Alba expect to sign as well. It, when you look at that team, he will fill a gap. So Inter-Miami don't have a number 10 or at least they don't have a good one. They do need a playmaker. So Joseph Martinez this season in particular has needed someone to provide him with a bit of service. So having Messi behind him is is, is good news for him. Um, and as I mentioned, Busquets has also signed, so he'll play behind Messi as the midfield anchor. So that is something to to build around. Um, until Tata Martino arrived, Inter Miami had been using this four two three one shape, which obviously you then place Messi in behind the central striker in that formation. But Martino seems to be experimenting with some new things. He's only been in charge for two or three games. So it's a little bit difficult for me to give a definitive answer on where Messi will fit in. I've only caught highlights of their recent matches, but it was a 3-4-2-1 against Columbus. It was a 3-4-3 against DC United. And then it was a back four with a 4-1-4-1 against St. Louis City at the weekend there. So as I say, Martino experimenting with some different things. Not entirely clear where Messi will fit in, but... I think it's safe to assume that he will fit in wherever he wants, Lionel Messi, and Martino will just accommodate him. So I expect Messi will be very central. He won't do a lot in a defensive sense, but kind of, who cares? I'm not, I, I can't imagine Martino will care. I can't imagine Inter-Miami will care. Messi will do magic things when he has the ball and they'll mm. kind of just move around him. Nice luxury player. I look forward to all the uh, fans and pundits criticising Messi for walking around the field for large periods of time, not <laughs> noticing that he's done that for most of his career. <laughs> Yeah, like 15 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's perfected the art. He is football's best walker. <laughs> What's wild as well, Graham, but this is no disrespect to Miami or MLS, is that he's probably not played on a team this bad since he was a child. That's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I stand by what I said at the top there. We've never seen a player this good play for a team this bad. I mean, maybe Pele in the Cosmos days. Um, that's the only comparison that I can really draw, but that was like, what, 50 years ago? Yeah. I don't remember their matches. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's all a bit of an experiment. It is indeed. Uh, pour some up for uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, by the way, who was terminated. His DP contract was terminated to make room for Messi. Kind of like Grandpa Simpson going in and putting his hat on the uh, thing and taking it off again and walking straight out for Pizarro there. Quite Well, uh, he's done that like two or three times over the last two years, I think, yeah. with being banished and coming back and loans and coming back. He was very excited to play for Lionel Messi and unfortunately for him, that doesn't look like that's going to happen. It won't indeed. All right, Graham, we mentioned Arsenal uh, a, a few minutes ago. Should we talk a little bit about Declan Rice? Talk a bit about the business they've done? 
that Arsenal midfield looks different. It's going to look different this season. A lot better, we think. Yeah, you would. Well, you'd certainly hope so, given the money that they have spent. But it very much seems like the midfield has been a focus for Mikel Arteta. Of course, the midfield for Arsenal, the starting midfield anyway, last season was Granite Xhaka, who I thought had a very good season, and Thomas Partey as a double pivot also had a very good season with Martin Odegaard slightly ahead. But Arteta has been ruthless this summer in his intent to rebuild that unit. So Granit Xhaka is gone. He's signed for Bayer Leverkusen. There's an irony in that Granit Xhaka, who wasn't always a popular figure at Arsenal, leaving Arsenal the moment he becomes a popular figure. Uh, There's (laughs) some irony in that. Thomas Partey getting closer to kind of 30 years old. It feels like Arteta seeing an opportunity to move him on as well. And of course, Declan Rice has, has, has come in. £105 million is a a lot of money for Declan Rice. For a player who, yes, is very good, will improve Arsenal. I think he has has his limitations, though, Declan Rice. I have raised questions in the past about how quickly he moves the ball. And for a team like Arsenal, who in possession play are all about disorganising opponents with with the ball, I think he's going to have to up the tempo that he plays at. Now, maybe he's capable of doing that. He hasn't, maybe just hasn't been asked to do that at West Ham or for England. Maybe he does have that ability and we'll see that next season. But it is a question against Declan Rice when you look at the money that Arsenal have paid for him. I mean, he's not Jude Bellingham, for example, who went for roughly the same amount to Real Madrid. So it, it seems like Arsenal were just absolutely determined to get Declan Rice and they were willing to pay whatever money it took. And West Ham felt they could demand over £100 million for him. It is a big statement of, of intent by, by Arsenal. I mean, by all accounts, it feels like Rice only wanted to go to Arsenal. Even when Manchester City, the treble winners, came in for him, it felt like Arsenal was, was his top pick. Arsenal were the team that he agreed personal terms with, and I think that says something about how, how Arteta's project is being seen by players. Declan Rice is probably looking at young players like William Saliba and Bakayo Saka, who obviously plays with at England, and Martin Odegaard, and these are all young players, and they're all growing up together, and they're getting better as a team, and he's seeing himself fitting into that, and that's quite a strong sales pitch to players, and that's what Arsenal certainly have going for them at the moment. But I am very interested to see how that midfield pans out next season certainly in terms of who partners Declan Rice is Tom, if Thomas Partey is, is is leaving because of course they've signed Kai Havertz mm. Kai Havertz a very talented player I don't know what your opinion is on Kai Havertz Ryan but I, I, and if you were to break down his technical and physical attributes there's a lot to like about Kai Havertz but what is his position like where does he play is he a centre forward is he a number 10 is he a central midfielder is he going to play as a as part of the double pivot for Arsenal so that's where there's interest for me I'm really looking forward to seeing those first few pre-season games um, I think Arsenal have actually already had a couple but kind of consequential games later in pre-season where we maybe get an idea of how that midfield is going to look and my perception of Habits's position is that he doesn't like playing that number nine up top role even if he's done it for club and country and we'll probably see him a bit further back right Potentially. I, I don't know. You're asking a question I don't have an answer to. Um, at Bayer Leverkusen, where I genuinely thought Havertz was one of the best young players in Europe, and I thought it was a real coup that Chelsea managed to get him. I remember there was interest from Real Madrid at the time, but when he played at Leverkusen, he was very much a, a, an attacker. He played as a centre-forward, or he played as a, a second striker. And then Lampard at Chelsea saw him as a central midfielder. That didn't really work. So it's interesting that potentially Arteta sees him as a central midfielder. I think what's most likely is that he will just play a number of positions for Arsenal. So when they need him to be 
A number 10, to rest Odegaard, he'll play in that position, he'll play as a centre-forward, he can play out wide, he can play in central midfield, but, uh, central midfield, but £70 million is a lot to pay for a deputy, a player who maybe isn't in your first team, but that kind of tells you the ambition that Arsenal have, they want to be a Man City who have those sort of players who can rotate in and out world-class stars, and maybe Havertz will be one of those players for them. Maybe indeed. Uh, a quick note, Graham, on Chelsea's business so far this summer, which is uh, the uh, in and outdoor has been revolving somewhat. Uh, Nkunku and Nicola Jackson also coming in as forwards as we knew, but lots of players moving out. Kulabali, Kovacic, Mendy, uh, before mentioned Kai Havertz, Loftus-Cheek, Kante, Mount, Aspidoqueta, Pulisic and a few others. Um, obviously, by necessity, they needed a bit of a clear out here, but uh, are they doing good business, do we feel, at this point? They're doing better business than I, than I expected them to. I mean, it was a low bar for Chelsea yeah. and Todd Bowley, given what happened in the last two windows. But I am impressed and surprised at how effectively they are shifting Deadwood. Mm. And of course, they've had a helping hand from Clear Lake's friends in Saudi Arabia, which has been convenient for them. But nonetheless, not only have they moved out a lot of players, they've actually managed to claw back some pretty decent transfer fees for yeah. players. So I mentioned 70 million for Kai Havertz. I'm kind of shocked they got that for Kai Havertz, not because I don't think he's a talented player, but because that's roughly what Chelsea paid for him like three years ago when his stock was higher and they've basically got the money back for Kai Havertz. But £60 million for Mason Mount as well. Kind of surprised they got £60 million considering he's got a year left in his contract. £30 million for Kovacic. I mean, that's probably... Um, that probably has a bit market value, but nonetheless, £20 million for Christian Pulisic. So right there, you're talking like, what is that? Like close to £200 million that they've clawed back for players who weren't in their, their starting lineup or weren't in their long-term vision. So that that is some pretty good business for Chelsea. Obviously, they don't really need much in the way of incoming signings given they've signed everyone <laughs> over the last 12 months but there are two key positions I think there are some questions against one is the number nine position um, Chelsea's two biggest transfers so far this summer have been in this position so Christopher Nkuku joining for RB Leipzig from RB Leipzig and then uh, Nicholas Jackson mm. signing from uh, Villarreal both players who c can play at number nine but this is where it's interesting because it still feels like Chelsea have to s have, have to settle on who their centre forward will be and Pochettino tends to favour a more orthodox number nine than Nkuku who is very mobile and very effective in that position but he's not someone that you can play off or play through and that's what Pochettino likes. Nicholas Jackson has a lot of potential but he's still very raw he's he's a development player in, in, in a sense obviously he could develop very quickly he could be a Julian Alvarez for Chelsea next season um, but last season was his first full season in a top division in, in La Liga so maybe we can't expect too much from him so yeah Chelsea have spent big on two strikers and I'm not convinced they found their starting number nine which is the point I'm getting at so th that that is a concern and then in central midfield it feels like they want a replacement for N'Golo Kante they wanted Manuel uh, Ugarte from Sporting Lisbon try to buy a bit of Sporting Lisbon to get that deal over <laughs> the line. Uh, he went to PSG instead, so Sporting Lisbon still own 100% of their own club um, at this point. Just before we started recording, The Athletic was reporting that Brighton have turned down a £70 million offer for Moises Caicedo, who's a long-term target for Chelsea, so maybe that deal is, is the one that ultimately gets done, but it feels like they're going to have to go up to... I mean, Brighton apparently want £100 million for Moises Caicedo, which... 
seems crazy, but like Declan Rice has just gone for £105 million. So that kind of sets the benchmark for a lot yeah. of these deals. So maybe Chelsea have one huge record transfer left in them. Just on, on those on those numbers, Graham, obviously £105 million for Declan Rice is a lot. How does Mason Mount go for 60? Like, I know obviously completely different players, but in terms of player value and their value in the Premier League, I don't understand how Mount, Mount is 40% less than a Declan Rice. Well, I think he, he did have a year left in his contract, so that is a factor. But I, get, I, I take your broader point in that a lot of the time it feels like throwing darts at a mm. dartboard to pick a price. Um, so... Yeah, like I, I guess it's just down to the position a selling club is in. Like West Ham had been on a European run, they maybe didn't need the money. Obviously, if you're buying from a Premier League club, they're they're in a financially more secure position, which is where I think Brighton have. You know, they've collected big fees for Cucurella and Ben White and Yves uh, Basuma and Alexis McAllister, so they don't really need to sell another key player, and so that gives them the freedom or the leverage to say to Chelsea, well, we want 100 million for Moises Caicedo. And as we all know, Chelsea will pay that because <laughs> yep. that's what they did with Benfica and Enzo Fernandez. Benfica told Chelsea a number they didn't think they would pay, and then they did. Yeah, and then they might put a 20% tip on there as well because that'd just be polite, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, plenty more transfer done deals and rumours to discuss across the Premier League, across Saudi Arabia, across Europe, across much, much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. So the Soccer Show, welcome back to our transfer rumor update. It's Ryan and Graham with you on the wireless. Do we still call it the wireless? No, we don't. No, I, no, you're showing your age there, Brian. I'm sitting here with two phones. I think that's something. If you if you're sitting with two phones, you are either like a transfer news journalist or you're having an affair. Which that's one are you? The, <laughs> no comment. 
<laughs> Very good. Uh, Man United, let's talk about them. We, we already covered uh, Mason Mount going there. That seems like a very good move, Manchester United. If not, just taking one of your rival's best players and getting him for what I would perceive to be a good value at £60 million as well. So I was going to ask you for you, for your opinion on Mason Mount, because previously asking me, it's telling, saying to me, you know, £60 million for Mason Mount, you were surprised at that number mm. when Rice has gone for £105 million. That suggested that you, you're pretty hot on Mason Mount. You think that he yeah. he is worth more than that, right? So you, oh. you think this is quite a coup for, United, for Manchester United this summer because a lot of fans are, are, well, from what I can gauge on Twitter, are placing their trust in Ten Hag and saying, well, you know, if Ten Hag wants this player, fine. But I don't get the sense that their fans are jubilant about this signing. I think that's misplaced because I think they should be. I mean, even if you look at his performances for England, I think he's a key player in that setup. Uh, could have maybe could have been more of a key player at Chelsea, but I think he's very important. Uh, I think they've got undue pressure on him with the number seven shirt at Man United. Obviously, that probably right. hasn't helped anybody with that situation. That's probably added to the to the discourse around it as well. I'd imagine because Man United fans have been burned before with that kind of thing. Yeah, but I think he's terrific. Like, I assume is he going to keep Ericsson out of the team? What's I, that's what I can't quite yeah. understand in 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 his position though. Yeah, so he's been signed, I think, as a pressing midfielder. Um, so the FA Cup final, I remember talking about this after after that game, which obviously Manchester United lost um, fairly comfortably to, to Man City in that match. And that match showed how badly United needs a pressing midfielder. So mm. Christian Eriksen did well for Manchester United last year, but I think what he brings is on-the-ball quality, but not a great deal out of possession. And if Ten Hag, and Joe and I have spoken about this over the last year, but as much as Man United, Man United progressed last year, it was a bit of a compromise from Ten Hag. The, pl- the way they're playing is not the way that he envisages a few years from now. They're a little bit more counter-attacky, um, a little bit more compact. He wants them to be better in possession and out of possession. And that's out of possession is one of the reasons that he got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo because he, he couldn't offer anything in that sense. Mm. And Christian Eriksen is being kept around for matches where Manchester United will have a dominance of the ball naturally because of their talent advantage. But when against high-caliber opponents, United need someone that can get closer to opposition players and press. And that's what Mason Mount does well. So while he is a good creative player, he brings goal threat, it's actually not those things that I believe Ten Hag is looking at. It's his out-of-possession ability that I think makes him a good addition to that midfield. And when you place him in that midfield unit alongside Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes, and now you have Mason Mount, you're starting to see a balance in terms of what those players bring um so yeah i think generally it is a good signing um it's just 60 60 million seems like quite a lot for me for a player with one year left on his on his contract okay but so we're an opposite we coming back the spectrum. to we, well the, the thing that warps everything is declan rice like right. that's the <laughs> 105 million but there we go okay uh elsewhere in manchester united transfer news uh onana um uh, might have signed by the time we finish this conversation graham but um certainly rumored to be coming in as as number one as well yeah, he may or may not be on a flight to the USA tomorrow. My United travel to the States for their preseason tour. I think the Graham, idea was that... if he gets that... a visa for the US quicker than I do, I'll be very unhappy, <laughs> frankly, but go on. I think that's, I think that's guaranteed. <laughs> You're waiting for a visa for like three years. It's yeah. been a while, anyway. Yeah, so um, Andre and Anna, close to signing. Whether that has happened by the time this goes out or not, I think we can... It's safe to say that it will happen. He's going to give United a totally different dimension playing out from the back. Um, David De Gea, as we covered at length last season, not good with the ball at his feet. Andre Inanna, 
very good with the ball at his feet. I would say that's the thing that makes him a special talent. It's going to take some of the pressure off Lissandro Martinez and, and Luke Shaw for United uh, next season. De Gea wasn't comfortable on the ball, so the ball always went to one of those two, and that's how United played out from the back. Now they have another option. They can push Shaw higher up the field. That gives them an option to go wide earlier. Um, it'll give United the option to bypass the defence and go straight into midfield, which doesn't sound that big. That feels like something every team should be able to do, certainly at elite Premier League level. But that that's a huge thing for a Man United team that hasn't been able to do that for about 10 years with David De Gea. I mean, how, when, did you, when did you ever see David De Gea go straight into central midfield with a pass? It very rarely, if ever, yeah. happens. So that could be transformational for Manchester United. It could get them up the pitch quicker, make, make them much more dangerous in playing through opponents. So I am... Um, I'm both surprised and not surprised that Ten Hag has prioritised this. I, I am surprised because towards the, end, towards the end of last season, it felt like De Gea was going to get a new contract. They were going to keep him around for another season and then maybe move him on next year. But I think some of the mistakes that he made in the FA Cup final in that match to, against Sevilla in the Europa League persuaded Ten Hag this needed to be a priority. And Andre Onana is pretty much the best option they could they could have got. He's a great option, Graham, but also I don't feel like he's that much more of a conservative option. He's not. I don't think he's necessarily a safer pair of hands. I, maybe I'm not phrasing that very well, but like he's got a mistake in him as well. I think is is something I'd say. And having watched when I went to the Coppa Italia final um, a, a month or so ago, the the playing out from the back, some of it was heart in mouth kind of stuff he was doing. Yeah, and like the the back line comes right parallel with him as well. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god! Like I think there's going to be some Man United fans who aren't quite expecting the kind of play from the back that he's going to bring. It's going to be like Fabian Barthez reincarnated. <laughs> yeah, um, you're right, uh, Onana. In in shot stopping terms, I mean, I know, look, I know De Gea's made mistakes recently with saves that he should have made, but. Talking broadly, looking at like the last five years, I'd say De Gea is probably a better shot stopper than Andre and Anna is. But Ten Hag places such an importance on being able to play out from the back and they haven't been able to do that with De Gea. So he probably accepts a couple of mistakes a season from his goalkeeper if it means United are better as a, a possession-based team. Mm, fair enough. Uh, elsewhere in Man United transfer news, uh, Sofian Amrabat rumoured to be on his way. Rasmus Hoyland as well in this quest for... The Ajax style? Is that what we're doing here? Is that what's happening right now? I think so. I mean, last season very much wasn't the Ajax style from Ten Hag, but he is using a, a, a blueprint. He's trying to stick to that blueprint. And part of that blueprint is an orthodox, physical number nine who can press from the front. And that is a big part of why they're going for Erasmus Hoyland. Of course, his name sounds like Haaland as well. So, you know, that's he's that got that going for him yeah. too. That helps Scandinavian, of course. Uh, not Norwegian, but plays for, for, for Denmark. So similar part of the world. I wrote a piece for Optus, um, an Australian site, a, a few weeks ago, looking at how similar he is in profile to Erling Haaland. Um, so he's only played one season in a big five league. So that's a question mark against him. You know, is, is he ready to be Manchester United starting Number nine, it's a different situation to when Haaland went to Man City and he'd been in the Bundesliga and torn that torn that league apart for a couple of seasons. You knew he you knew he was going to succeed at City. Um, maybe Haaland is a bit of a de- developmental player if he was to go to Manchester United. But look at his profile. He is strong. He's physical. He's good with the ball. He's good on both sides. He's a he's a good finisher. 
Um, he's good in transition. He presses from the front, so he ticks a lot of box. It ticks a lot of boxes for Manchester United. So it wouldn't be too surprising to see them go for him. I was reading on uh, Romano's Twitter page just before we started recording, actually, that United are now going to focus on Hoyland. The problem for United could be the difference in what they want to pay for him, which is apparently around 50, 60 million euros, and what Atalanta want for him, which is apparently 100 million euros. <laughs> See, Declan Rice has completely warped this market. Everyone wants 100 million for every single player. That's the base now. So, yeah, 100 million seems excessive for Haaland, as, as good as he looks um, and what I've seen of him. So, I don't know, maybe Manchester United end up going for someone else if At- Atalanta hold firm on, on, on that valuation. Looking generally at Man United, Graham, I find it intriguing that um, a few weeks ago the perception was Man United can't do any business. Their hands are tied until their sale has happened, until the takeover has happened, because no, everyone's going to wait until they can add an extra zero and they can get $100 million for every player they, they sell them. Um, but it seems, in the interim, they're still doing decent business. So that, that's been defied a little bit, hasn't it? It has. Um, I'm not doubting the reporting that happened around the time when um, the claim was that my United's hands were, were tied in this in this transfer window, because it came from reputable places like the Athletic and the Telegraph and so on, who would who would know that sort of thing. I just kind of wonder if there's been a realization at Manchester United that this takeover, if it's going to happen, isn't going to be concluded anytime soon. So I think if the, if it was the case that oh you know it'll be done next week or it'll be done two weeks from now, then maybe their hands are still tied. But it feels like this is really dragging on, and I think it will drag on into the latter parts of this year. Mm. And so that really realization has maybe pushed some within Manchester United, certainly within the front office, John Murtaugh and and Darren Fletcher and those guys, to kind of push for some transfer funds. Otherwise, Man United are going to, the you know, when you look at the business that's been done by their rivals, there's a good chance if they stand still, they fall at the top four. Indeed. Um, any more on Man United, or should we move to Liverpool, Graham? Harry Maguire, I guess. We haven't talked about him and Let's where he's that. going. You, yeah. you talked about it in your, your intro or referenced yeah. it in your intro. Harry Maguire, of course, this week stripped of the Manchester United captaincy, confirmed that on his Instagram page. Is there anything more sad than Harry Maguire's Instagram post about being stripped of the captaincy, Graham? It was very melancholy and slightly pathetic as well. It, it was. It was a little bit. It did make me kind of sad for his situation. My question is, why? Why put that out at all? Does it serve? Who does it help? So my reading of it was maybe a sort of Jordan Belfort, I'm not going anywhere sort of thing, where it was, you've stripped me of the captaincy, but I'm actually not going to leave Manchester United because he says something along the lines of, I'm going you know, to continue to represent this shirt with pride and, 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 and so on as Ryan in, in shock at this revelation drops. What was that you just dropped off it your table there? My Apple Watch charger just fell off oh, and right, onto the okay. floor. I apologise, listener. Well, it's one of the big expensive like hiking ones, so I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> that's what it was built for, falling yeah. off an office desk. Ultra. But yeah, Harry Maguire, I, I read that as he's, he doesn't want to leave Manchester United. There is, there is interest from him um, in in uh, West Ham who mm. want to sign him obviously they've got some of that that sweet sweet Declan Rice money to splash um, so maybe 35 40 million of that goes on on Harry Maguire I actually think he'd be a good signing for West Ham um, Harry Maguire is not a bad player he's, he's a bad fit for Manchester United who play this high defensive line he's not got any recovery speed he gets exposed very easily West Ham play a much 
uh, deeper defensive line, so he wouldn't be exposed in the same way. He's also good at like defending crosses, which West Ham defenders have to do a lot of, and West Ham are, are good at set pieces as well. So he you can get him up from the back, and he can he can be a physical threat. So for a David Moyes team, I think he would actually thrive. Um, and of course, West Ham are in the Europa League next season as well, so he'd have a pretty decent platform in continental competition. So yeah. it feels like he is shutting down that option. I would suggest maybe he should be open to a move to West Ham because that feels like a decent fit. Yeah, I think the reporting suggesting that Man United dismissed a loan move uh, as as we record, but that one could be uh, reopened, I'd imagine, Graham. It's, I mean, I suppose the problem with him is he's probably on too big a wages for most Premier League teams to take the risk on a player of his profile. Is that fair? Yeah, and that's been the trouble for Manchester United in the post-Ferguson age where they've mm. they've given so many players bumper contracts that it seems like the only time they can get rid of them is if they just run their contracts down and they push them out the door, which is essentially what they did with Phil Jones this summer, who they were never able to to sell. That's that's partly why I'm surprised at how effective Chelsea have been at getting rid of players this summer. They, they These players are on big contracts and they've managed to, to sell them on in a way that Manchester United have always struggled to do. I think a big consideration for Harry Maguire at this specific point in time. So last summer, the situation was a little bit different for him, even though we all got a sense that Ten Hag wasn't going to fancy him much. There was a new manager. You could understand him wanting to develop his game and maybe prove a point to the new manager. He's now fifth choice for his position at Manchester United. Mm. Rafael Varane, Lissandro Martinez, Victor Lindelof and Luke Shaw, a left back, are all ahead of him in the pecking order at Manchester United. He's not going to climb up that ladder anytime soon. And there's a Euros next summer for England. That seems to be... The big thing for Harry Maguire is staying in England contention. And Gareth Southgate in the last window there admitted that the situation with Harry Maguire is unsustainable in terms of his his, his England chances. He can't continue to sit on the bench at Man United and be a starter for England. So maybe some words from Southgate are the thing that push him towards West Ham because this can't continue. Yeah, All right for Phil Foden to sit on the bench but not Harry Maguire, is that it? Well, you're sitting on the bench for like the treble winners, a Pep Guardiola team. It's a little bit different. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, before we take a break, why don't we talk about Liverpool as well? Just a general idea of their business, it seems. What have they done? We've got Kevin McAllister. Kevin McAllister? No, the other McAllister, not the home alone. <laughs> well, the World Cup winning McAllister. And they've got Dominic Somerslight as well coming in as well. Uh, Milner, Cater, the Ox and Firmino uh, departing. Um, what do we think of Liverpool's uh, midfield strengthening so far? Yeah, good job so far. So the midfield has has obviously been the focus, as you mentioned. Uh, Alexis McAllister, That's not the one. the one that was in the Home Alone films, has signed from Brighton. Thirty five million pounds. That seems like a steal in this right. current market. That's a great deal. That might be the best signing of the of the window I, so far. I just don't understand the numbers on any player this summer. I'll say that much, Graham. So I think I think maybe that was a re- was a release clause, but then that even that is confusing because McAllister signed a new contract before the World Cup when he was already like wanted by other teams. I remember Chelsea wanted him before the World Cup. So why did Brighton agree to 35 million? Anyway, don't really understand. I'm with you on that one. Um, so they've signed McAllister and then they spent a little bit more money for, for Shobosly. They Liverpool needed creativity. They needed a goal threat in midfield. That was something they were desperately lacking last season. And those two players will, will bring that. Now it seems the focus is on the base of the midfield. So Fabinho potentially off to Al Etihad and Saudi Arabia for £40 million. Jordan Henderson potentially off to Al Etifak for £10 million. Uh, Stephen Gerrard is the new Al Etifak 
manager. Have you seen that picture of Steven Gerrard that has been going around Twitter of him sitting at the desk with the little flags, like yeah. some like a foreign diplomat? Yeah, it's very funny. I've enjoyed the the memes around <laughs> that. But anyway, those two players seem to be on their way out of, of, of Liverpool. They will be very thankful for that £50 million to go and lump on a replacement. So that could be uh, Kefram Churam, who plays for, for Nice. Manu Kone has also been linked with them, although it feels like that speculation has has, has cooled off a little bit. I saw yesterday in the, was it the Telegraph or the Independent, one of those two, Calvin Phillips, apparently, on Liverpool's radar. Oh. Now... Well, yeah, Man City might be asking that one as well when the bid comes in. What player is that? Oh, right, yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, Calvin, if they get Leeds, Calvin Phillips, I think that's a good signing. But Man City, Calvin Phillips has been a, a very different sort of player. So there is still some work for Liverpool to be done with their midfield. As I say, that was the big focus of, of this transfer window. I think they've made a good start. Um, the only other position that there has been consistent speculation around is right back which then leads to questions about Trent Alexander-Arnold of course finished the season playing in central midfield but even if Alexander-Arnold is going to play at right back next season uh, James Milner has also left Mm. Liverpool and he was the the first deputy at right back so it makes sense that they're looking for a replacement although you know how can you truly replace Hamas Milner it's 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 not possible in my eyes it's not possible he went to Brighton right he did go to Brighton yeah okay lots of a exchanges back and forth from Brian. Right, Ryan, what's your read on Liverpool at the moment? Because obviously last season was a difficult one for them. Not in the Champions League this season. This summer's all about a rebuild. Do you, do you expect them to be competitive near the top end of the Premier League next season? What's your prediction? <laughs> I was, was going to ask you the same question because what I was going to ask you, Graham, is are they a top four team next season? Because obviously they've got a higher quality team. They have strengthened in midfield as we've established here. Uh, they're probably going in the right direction, but... I mean, and Jurgen Klopp's going nowhere, right? That's yeah, that's safe to say. So, I I actually have no idea whether they're yeah, going to be a top I, four or top six team. I just couldn't tell you. Uh, it's it's. I agree. Yeah, it's a bit of an unknown. Right. Like it, it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool finish sixth next season, mm-hmm. and it equally wouldn't surprise me if they're challenging Man City for the title. Like that's the variance. You think they could be in, title challengers? I th- I I think it's not out with the realms of possibility i maybe wouldn't put money on it but we've seen liverpool bounce back you know they had a really bad season when was the covid season was it was a or was it the season after they won the title they struggled remember like the alison becker header at west brom to get them top four that was a struggle of a season and then the season after that they were fighting on all four fronts unfortunate not to win a premier league title so we have seen them bounce back before and the players that they've signed as we've just covered are high quality high potential players so yeah it wouldn't it I, i wouldn't rule it out but as I say, equally, I wouldn't rule out another difficult season. Yeah. All right. You've convinced me top four now with that information. I've got that, that four front season when they were like two games away from basically winning a couple of trophies. Yeah, you're right. OK, uh, let's take a quick break, Graham. When we come back, we need to talk about Harry Kane. Uh, we need to talk a bit more about Saudi Arabia and much more about the rumours floating around back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking transfers. Graham, I mentioned that most big deals seem to be uh, conducted at this point in the transfer season, which is quite early, but there is one saga that remains, and it's the domino of the number nines, which uh, the, the, the chief domino, arguably, here. <laughs> Harry Kane, who is playing in Perth, Australia, as we record. He's playing against West Ham with Tottenham. Uh, obviously linked by Munich. He's on around 200 grand a week at Tottenham. Uh, the Telegraph reporting that the PSG were after him, but Kane's not interested in that. Not sure how they have that information, but they do. I'm going to pull my latest uh, analysis and information from the most recent episode of Hot Ones, Graham, the right. the uh, spicy wing eating YouTube video in which Harry Kane many times emphasized his love of Tottenham and his, uh, uh, you know, the fact that he's been there since he was a kid and his chant that he's one of, uh, one of our own chant. He was laying it on fairly thick. Uh, uh, in that video, I would suggest. Well, I don't think that mm. necessarily means anything, but it maybe it's a, a negotiating tactic of sorts. I imagine Uli Hernis is watching Hot Ones to get <laughs> intel. Here. Well, he was also laying the sauce on pretty thick Hey-o. in that video. There was a pretty, uh, pretty big. Some celebrities go for like little nibbles, but Harry Kane was was going for it with yeah. those with those wings. He was, he was... Uh, the, the best one is Lord. Have you seen Lord? She's like. Uh, like doing the hottest sauce and going, I'm sorry, is this for children? Like she's just breezing <laughs> through it. It's amazing. Anyway. 
Yeah, um, the Kane situation is interesting. So it feels like the chance of him signing for another Premier League club has disappeared, and it disappeared pretty quickly. Of course, mm-hmm. Manchester United were linked with him fairly early on. There was reporting that they were kind of testing the waters and tentatively WhatsApping Daniel Levy to see how he was feeling about things, and then we got reports through that United had kind of quickly abandoned their chase of Hurricane, which say- says to me, either Spurs are flatly refusing to sell to another Premier League club or the price that they have set is something outrageous like 200 million that no other club would would feasibly pay and so Bayern Munich have have emerged as the only feasible option for Kane and I think it's I think it's a good option you know if he is concerned with winning silverware with playing in the Champions League every season with playing in a team that will play to his strengths then Bayern Munich ticks all those boxes. The only one they don't tick is, obviously, stating the obvious here, they're not a Premier League club. And so the, the, the Premier League scoring record thing that Kane has been chasing for a number of seasons, he, he probably gives up on that. But does he does he, does he he think that adding some silverware to his resume and to his career is worth more than that? I don't know. I guess that's a question only he can, he can answer. But I think Bayern Munich... Yes, isn't it? You would think so. I, I certainly would. But he does seem, from all the reporting and everything that he talks about, the scoring record, it seems like something that has been his guiding light for like five years yeah. trying to overtake Alan Shearer. So it would, I'd imagine it would be something, it, it, it would take quite a lot for him to give up on that and move to Bayern Munich. Um, but at this point, it does kind of feel like he's either going to move to Bayern Munich or he's going to sign a new contract with Spurs. There was reports that he could get paid as much as £400,000 a week, which would make, make him the second highest paid player in the Premier League after Erling Haaland if he were to if he were to sign that contract and of course Spurs are in pre-season training right now they're playing matches Postacoglu is is kind of getting his feet under the desk he has spoken a couple times Postacoglu about being given the ch- given the chance to communicate his vision to Harry Kane and so maybe Harry Kane buys that vision and buys into Postacoglu and signs that new contract at this point that's the two outcomes i, I see as possible mm. If you had, to, if you're a betting man, which you are, Graham, uh, does he end up in Germany by September fourth? At this point, yes, I think he'll be a Bayern Munich player that next season. And what does that do for the dominoes of num- of number nines? And do we think this is going to? Uh, well, if if he goes late in the window, maybe it won't affect things as much. But um, do we think it's going to be a lot of movement in that position following him? Um, the thing with that is, I I can't count on Spurs. I don't think it's guaranteed that Spurs will actually replace him. <laughs> So, you know, it might be a single domino that falls and then all the, <laughs> the other dominoes just continue to stand. Mm. Whereas if he goes to, you know, um, if, if if we're talking about Victor Osman, then maybe him falling as a domino, domino creates more of an effect where PSG go for another striker and Bayern Munich go for another striker or Mayonetti go for another striker. Um, but the, the number nine market is pretty nuts this this, this summer. I saw Sam Tai talking about this on, on, on Sky Sports and... That was in reference to following Balogun, of course, the USA's new uh, international star. Apparently, £50 million is the asking price for him, yeah. which, you know, good player, talented player. Maybe he'll be worth £50 million at, at, at one stage, and that'll look like a bargain. He's had one season in Ligue 1 where, he's, where he scored 20 goals for, for Riemann loan from Arsenal. So it's an expensive market to get into at the moment. Yeah, that's it. The Athletic also reporting that forty million euro uh, for Inter reportedly bidding for Balogun, which, as you say, that's quite a lot for a player of his experience thus far. Um, is Lukaku one of the dominoes? By the way, 
in the uh, number nine. Yeah, run. maybe one of the maybe one of the smaller dominoes, but certainly in in Serie A. So he he was close to Inter, and then that deal collapsed, mm. and now it seems to be a tug of war between uh, I forget which is it Al Halal in Saudi Arabia, one of the Saudi clubs, um, and Juventus are the other club who are who are in for him. So if he goes to Juventus or Al Halal, then all of a sudden Inter are probably in the market for 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 number nine. Maybe that's Balogun. Maybe that's someone else. Um, so yeah, he has probably one of the dominoes. Okay, why don't we have a chat about Saudi Arabia and its impact on on the league so far? I mean, it's interesting. I think I was reading something that was um, almost praising the Saudi league uh, as a partner for the Premier League because finally the Premier League has a league which it can trade its high value players with at this point, which sounds cynical, but I suppose it's true in a way because it's it's the one that can compete with the pricing basically. I was looking at a few of the clubs. Um, Al Halal, as you mentioned there, Milinkovic Savic has signed for them for 34 million. Ruben Neves has gone there for 47 million. Koulibaly's gone there. I don't have a firm enough grasp on the relative teams in Saudi Arabia to know who's going to be a dominant force, but it seems like some are stacking themselves up. Uh, and you mentioned Fabinho and Henderson maybe going over as well, and Lukaku. Are we thinking this next coming season, which I think probably starts in August or September, is going to be one that we should pay a little closer attention to. Yeah, I think it's got to that stage where I will, I will, um, if I can. So in the UK, there's not, there's not a TV deal. I don't think there's a TV deal in the US either. I read no. a report that the Saudi Pro League has the way that these contracts work. When you sell international rights, you find a a company and then they go around and sell your rights for you. So they've appointed a company now to do that on their behalf. So I'd imagine by August or September there will be rights in place in the US and the UK, which will make it easier to watch these games but yeah the number of players that are going there look I don't know if it's going to hold my attention like the Premier League does uh in fact I'm pretty certain it won't hold my attention like the Premier League does I'm not sure it will hold my attention even like League 1 does or or you know some the Portuguese league or you know I watch some Portuguese league games on 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 Sunday evenings and when they're on the TV but nonetheless there will be a curiosity to what's going on in that league next season with the number of players that are that have gone over. Um, Fabinho to Al-Etihad, Henderson to Al-Etifak, um, Riyad Mahrez to Al-Ali is, is, is another big move that could happen. Musa Diaby to Al-Nassar is, is, is the chat at the moment, which would be a pretty significant one given he's not a player at the end of his career. He could get a, a, a pretty big uh, Premier League move at this time, but instead he seems like he's leaning towards going to the Saudi Pro League. Um, Mitrovic as well has been linked with Al Halal. Rafinha, Barcelona player, been linked with Al Halal. That would be mm. a, a big signing as well. So there comes a point when there's so many names there that you have to pay it some form of attention. At, at, at this point, though, I feel like this, the Saudi clubs are actually strengthening the Premier League in particular, given that I mentioned earlier Liverpool would be pretty thankful for 50 million for Fabinho and Jordan Henderson. Like they wouldn't have got that money from anyone else. Right. And now they've got that money to go and sign like a younger replacement. Chelsea have obviously sold a few players to Saudi Arabia and now they've got their wage bill freed up a little bit. I was reading Manchester United, I can't remember which club it is, but Alex Tellez, um, who's still in their books, he's going to a Saudi club and they're getting a fee for him. So in the short term, I, I can't imagine the Premier League feels too threatened by the Saudi Pro League. It's just a case of what does this lead to you know at what point if this continues does a Saudi club come in for one of the Premier League's biggest stars and and at that point that's where the threat is real for the Premier League but I don't feel like we're real at, we're, we're at that point just now 
Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's a threat at the moment. To me, it feels, Graham, like, you know those those websites where you can uh, trade your phone in or your iPad in once you're done with them? Uh, it's one of those that gives you a really good price at the moment. <laughs> like Enviraphone. Yeah, exactly. That. Uh, that That's the kind of relationship I feel there is at the moment. Maybe I'm being a bit dismissive of, of Saudi. But g- going back to Ronaldo's comments we mentioned at the top of the show, he was also inferring that Saudi is stronger, that the league is stronger than MLS. And he's, you know, he's poo-pooing Europe uh, for this mm. new frontier of which he is uh, very much at the front, apparently. I mean, he would, wouldn't he? He would, <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. I mean, it's very self-serving, but is there a point there that this is going to be a big force in five years? It's an impossible question to ask you, but as an exercise, it's interesting to think that if they keep this pace up, and there's nothing suggesting they yeah. won't at this point. Well, if they keep this pace up, yeah, it will be one of the biggest leagues, one of the strongest leagues in the world. Um, I'm speaking from a position of ignorance and that I haven't really watched any Saudi Pro League games so I guess I don't know. Maybe it is a stronger league than I would guess. I struggle to believe that it's a stronger league than MLS. Yes, maybe it's got better star players after this summer, even with Messi at Inter-Miami now. Maybe there's a breadth of star quality in the Saudi Pro League that isn't in MLS. But you're talking about a league with much greater depth, MLS, and with the young players and particularly a lot of the South Americans that have moved to MLS in recent years. So I still feel like... As a whole, the Saudi Pro League is behind MLS and certainly behind a lot of the big European leagues. I'd agree. And yeah, time will tell. And it'll be nice if, as you mentioned, they give us uh, an opportunity to actually watch league play at some point, maybe this season or next. That is, yeah, that is a key like part of being a global league is allowing fans to watch your games. So like, let's hope they sort that out. I think that's fairly fundamental in trying to grow your popularity globally <laughs> is actually allowing people to see your product. I think it's reasonably important um a couple other deals to talk about graham Yunus musa to ac milan uh apparently that one's going to be completed this week as well so there's a friendly juventus playing milan in la on the 27th so we could have pulisic we could have where we could have musa in that one game a lot of u.s interest in syria oh, now that no, see that's now framed both clubs transfer activity this summer as like promotional business for that one friendly maybe that's maybe tim timothy way is going to play one game and in, in that friendly sell a lot of tickets and then that'll be it no i think he's going to be a key player for juventus yeah. i think Yunus musa would be a key player for milan as well i i like all of these moves i like pulisic obviously joining ac milan last week i think that's a good move for him with sandro tonali leaving milan Yunus musa feels like a good replacement for him um timothy way will probably play as a right wing back for Juventus. And as mm. long as Max Allegri stays at Juventus and they use that back three system, I think he's a good fit and a good replacement for Juan, Quadra- Juan Quadrado, easier for me to say, in that in that team. So, yeah, there's reasons to be positive. Um, obviously, the last year, certainly since the last World Cup, has been a little bit difficult for a lot of the US big names, but there's reason to, to be positive for some of them. Reason to be positive for Juventus, do we think, Graham, at this point? I mean, Max Allegri's still there, so there's there's a limit on how positive you can be with Allegri as manager. They do have a new sporting director, Cristiano Giuntoli, who was the Napoli sporting director. So when you look at the business that he did for Napoli and built that Scudetto-winning team, then maybe the hope for Juventus is that he's the man in control and not so much Allegri. Mm, okay. Uh, one other transfer I wanted to bring up uh, in our discussion, Graham. Uh, slightly going back to Saudi affairs was Newcastle who have been relatively conservative with their outlay 
uh, over the last season or two, and it seems to be they're continuing in that mould. But we have seen uh, Sky Sports are reporting that um, Kavaradona, uh, Kavich Kavakskelia, has been linked with them for an 82 million bid. Uh, do we think that could happen, or do we think that would blow their little minds if they actually spent quite a lot of money on a player? I, I just don't see... From everything that I've read, Newcastle are being restricted by FFP this this uh, this summer. And obviously, they can still spend some money. They've What was it? It's 70 million euros on Sandro Tonali. I expect yeah. they'll probably get a couple other, maybe like 30, 40 million um, signings in before the end of the window. But Kvaradona would surely cost... Was there... Was, was there... What did you say the fee was there, Ryan? 82. Yeah. That's... That feels like a lot and too much that Newcastle can pay right now. I think he's worth 82 million. If they, ha- if they have... If they find that down the back of... Uh, of of the the PIF sofa that they have at, <laughs> at St James's Park, then yeah, spend eighty two million pounds on on Cavaradona, but that to me feels like a bit of a ploy by his by the player's agent to get a new contract out of Napoli. He is on thirty thousand euros a week, which you know I wish I was on thirty thousand euros a week, but Cavaradona is one of the best players in his position wow. in Europe, and so that is well below market value. He he's probably aiming for. Probably triple that, to be honest, to to stay at Napoli. Um, I think Harvey Barnes has also been linked with um, with Newcastle this summer. That feels like a more realistic signing on the left wing for Newcastle. Apparently, he'd cost around £30 million. Alan San Maximin is another player who potentially could be on his way to the Saudi Pro League. And so, as, as much as San Maximin is very talented, I think Harvey Barnes is more consistent, a little bit more reliable. And so, that's the direction I see Newcastle, Newcastle heading in, rather than... Spending eighty million euros on Cavaradona, I think thirty million pounds for Harvey Barnes for that left winger feels more feasible. Okay. Do we think Napoli keep the band together for next season? Well, one of the band has already left <laughs> in uh, Kim Min Jae, who's signed signing. Okay, has either the... signed or is signing. Do they keep the duo? For... The the uh, the what kind of band has two members? I don't know. Well, they've also two? lost their manager, so the band is falling apart well, quickly. He, he, le- he left on his own terms, right? So <laughs> yeah. to, to be fair. Spend more time with his duck. All right, do they keep those two big players, Graham? Let me rephrase. Um, Potentially, yes. It feels like the Osman chat has kind of cooled mm. a little bit, where Manchester United are... I thought Manchester United was the one. I thought my United going for Osman was, was most feasible, but they seem to be looking elsewhere, maybe younger options. They've prioritised a goalkeeper and Mason Mount. Maybe they don't have €150 million Euros to spend on a striker. So... You asked me for a prediction on Kane. I said he'll be a Bayern Munich player. If you're asking me for a predict- prediction on this, I say Osman and Cavaradona stay at Napoli for next season, which I'll be I'll be pleased about. I want another season of those two together. Good stuff. I like it. And I like your conviction. When you're asked for a prediction, Graham, you give one. Very good indeed. I ain't Joe Lowry. There you know Joe Lowry. Uh, that's bad and good, I suppose. We love Joe. Mostly bad. <laughs> yeah, well. um, Graham, any other transfer stuff you wanted to discuss before we get out of here? I think we're uh, pretty covered at the moment. It seems like a, think, a lively window, right? It is a lively window. Um, I think we covered pretty much all bases. Of course, there will be some story that breaks almost as soon as we stop recording <laughs> this uh, to render all this uh, irrelevant, but that's just the way the transfer window goes. I'm checking my second phone now for any text messages. Uh, nope, those are just from my mistress. Nope, no, I don't have anything uh, on the go there. Oh, good, good. Um, uh, I was going to make a joke, which I won't make, because I'm going to end the show right here. Graham Rutherford, a pleasure chatting you with our transfers. I imagine we'll stop by the transfer carousel at least a couple more times before the window is out. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds good, Ryan Bailey. Anytime, let's do this again soon. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, not least 
with our coverage of the Women's World Cup coming very shortly. Those first few games, they're challenging time slot for US audiences, but, you know, that's good. Actually, the first two US games are 9pm Eastern, which is nice. Uh, the third one, 3am, not so hot, but... uh. We'll be covering it all the same, Graham. Looking forward to doing that. Listener, thank you for joining us. We'll be on the feed very soon, but for now, bye!